go ahead and have a seat. Just a couple things to bring to your attention this morning. First of all, after the service today, we'll give you, a, you know, maybe three or four minutes. So that if you're visiting, you know, feel free to be dismissed. But a, a few minutes after the service, we're just going to have a brief, you know, I, I'm thinking 15 minutes or less. Just a brief chance for any Q&A related to our, uh, you know, desire and hope to maybe add uh, someone to work in youth ministry at Creekside. So that will be immediately after the service. Um, so whoever is welcome uh, to stay for that, just, you know, stay where you're at or move closer to the front and, and we'll have a short time after the service today. Also, the 4th of July uh, annual event at Creekside is coming up and I've heard that we are still looking for some volunteers. So there's a sign-up sheet right on the welcome table and it's got already got the different jobs and tasks on it, uh, different areas where we're looking for volunteers. So that would be much appreciated. It's coming up very quickly. Um, it's going to be a great night. We're just going to have a supper. Um, you know, we want people to contribute, bring a side, but um, we'll have uh, meat and things provided. And um, then there's just a time to uh, hang out here, play games, and um, and stay all the way up until fireworks. So we have a great view of the Urbandale fireworks out here and uh, just a good chance, a good time of fellowship, good time to uh, invite any friends or family to join us uh, that you would like to. But we are looking for a few more volunteers. All right, our last thing, Norb, do you wanna come up? We just would like to bid farewell um, to a family that we've grown to know and appreciate over the past couple of years. And so Norb is going to uh, just commit them to prayer. Jonathan and Sarah, you want to come up with your kids? Jonathan and Sarah have been with us, what, five years or so? They are uh, moving to the Upper Peninsula in Michigan to be with family, and, which is an important thing. They've kind of been solo here with no family around, immediate family, and a lot of families there on Sarah's side. And so, Jonathan, you're going to work from home, right? Yep. Okay. And uh, we're just going to commit them to the Lord. We have Jonathan and Sarah and Rowan and Ada and Carl. We're going to ask God's blessing for their move. Father, we just thank you for this dear family, family that you love, that you gave your life for, Lord Jesus. Thank you that they love you back and um, they know the Lord as their Savior. We thank you for their time with us and the ministries they've had here and the fellowship. Now we commit them to you for safe travels, for packing, moving, and things uh, won't get broken, and new area, neighborhood, jobs, and just uh, Sarah being able to be with her family again. We just lift that time up for them, help them to be a light shining for Christ in their new location. Bless them, and we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Good deal. Uh, just a couple more things uh, I wanted to make you aware of. Uh, just came out late in the week this week, but we are planning another baptism. So if you're interested in being baptized, please contact me uh, as soon as you can. I'd also like to say that those who are uh, the Sunday school kids, uh, you can be dismissed right now. So if you're in Sunday school of that age, uh, you can be dismissed. And so we are having a, pl a plan on the baptism. I also ask you to continue to be praying for uh, Mark and Mary Bristow. They're still down in Haiti, 
uh, so they haven't, uh, they haven't come back yet, so keep praying for them if you would. I'd like to just ask you to bow with me as we pray in preparation for worshiping through the study of God's Word. Father, your Word is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, the joints and marrows, the discerner. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And I pray that as we continue our trek uh, through a look at some of these Old Testament characters and the, uh, the courage of their faith uh, in uncertain times that they faced, that it might empower us, it might inspire us, it might instruct us as we live in similar times. And I pray now that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law. We lift up Mark and Mary, praying for your grace and mercy in their ministry there in Haiti and for safety as they travel home. We ask that you would uh, guide us and let the word of God, uh, let your spirit work in and through your word to accomplish your purposes in and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. About a week ago, well, no, two weeks ago or a few weeks ago, back in May, a month ago, I should say, a month ago, uh, we celebrated Mother's Day. A week ago, we celebrated Father's Day. Now, we've been told that this entire month we're supposed to celebrate what would, in my opinion, be the perversion of everything we just celebrated on Mother's Day and Father's Day. Uh, that's what we're supposed to be celebrating uh, this month. And, uh, and we're supposed to do it with pride, which the Scripture says is one of the six things the Lord hates. <laughs> it's an abomination to God. So I say this because the, the contrast between the celebrations, quote-unquote, and the moral grounding of those celebrations is just evidence that we live in a society, a society that's in conflict with our convictions as biblical Christians, okay? That's a vivid reminder of that conflict. St. Augustine of Hippo, back in 14, he lived between 1412 and 1426, somewhere in there, he wrote a book called The, the City of God. And in his book, The City of God, he captured the reality of this conflict between two societies, the society of the world and the society of God, and he gave them the names of cities. He just said the cities, the cities of the world and the cities of God. And this is what he said, two cities have been formed by two loves, the earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God. The heavenly by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. The two cities embroiled in, uh, in, in conflict uh, are, embo- are, are openly embroiled in conflict. We see that in the world in which we live. And it's vividly illustrated in the response to the recent Supreme Court ruling overturning uh, Roe versus Wade. In the reactions we see. We see the response of the world, which is insisting that, they, that the, the right to murder the unborn should continue, and that of believers who are rejoicing at the mercy of God, I would say it is, the grace of God, 
in uh, allowing us to see at least that this is not a constitutional right. Uh, and again, it's up to the states to decide whether they're going to allow it or permit it. But we, I think, as believers, should rejoice that there is this, uh, at least a, a halt or a break on that. But it shows the clash between them, okay? And I think about this, and I've been thinking about it as in preparation for the message today, the nuclear family, that is a, a mother and a father and, and children, and a whole bunch of other tenets of biblical Christianity are actually antithetical to what I would consider the, the God of this age, the world of this age, a, a Marxist ideology, which is basically uh, says it's pervading the country, which basically is, is bent on eradicating freedom. It's basically bent on elevating the state, you know, the government, and eliminating God from society in order to accomplish some goals. And these are the goals of the Marxist ideology. The, the goals that they want to do is, is somehow that we're going to uh, have a, a, the state's going to take care of you. We're going to have income, income equality. We're going to have uh, justice and the absolute absolution of any oppression and all those things, which are not bad things necessarily, but it's all contrary uh, and done in a way in a mentality that's contrary to the scriptures. I want you to understand, uh, those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that what I believe is that the, the forces arrayed against us are not in it to allow some sort of tolerance for everybody. The, the, the idea is, is not harmonious coexistence. I hope you don't get lost in my big words here. The idea is not that we're just going to live in harmony with one another and you do your thing and I'll do my thing. No, no. Uh, it's, it's, the secularists are demanding that what was once condemned is now to be celebrated and what was once celebrated is now to be condemned. There's a new movie out, Disney, uh, Lightyear. Haven't seen the movie. But the lead actor, and I'm not going to see the movie, uh, but the lead actor from the movie had this to say because in the movie uh, they show a, a, a same-sex couple kissing in the movie and the lead actor believes that those who viewed the same-sex kiss in the movie as uh, negative says this, they're idiots to be disregarded, okay? So uh, just this past week, the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services came out and said that basically hormone therapy and transition are medically necessary things uh, that should be supported. We're at war with the culture. Scripture is at war. So how do we react? How do we respond? What do we do? Well, we could fight it, we could flee from it, which I'm not sure how that works out, uh, you know, you can't run too far from it. We could conform to it, or we could faithfully engage it. Uh, the struggle between the world's people and the world's way and God's people and God's way I think, has been illustrated for us and manifest for us and the conflict symbolized for us in the 
Old Testament book of Daniel with the King Nebuchadnezzar and his antithetical approach to God and God's people and those people who were God's people living in the day and living in the city and the culture of Babylon. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there because that's where we're going because the book of Daniel, I believe, is a call, a call to stay faithful because God is in control. Stay faithful. In chapter 1, Daniel and his friends teach Christians how to be in the world but not of the world, how to live courageously without compromise in a contrary world. And so from Daniel chapter 1, the first 21 verses of Daniel, we discover, or at least I see in the text, not like I am the only one who sees stuff, but I see in the text three stages of living courageously in a contrary world. And I'm going to read the text so you can get the, the context of it. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it which means he attacked it, okay? I'm reading the New American Standard, so if you have some other translation, I uh, hope you can translate for me. I'm in verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them into the land of Shinar. Vessels would be vessels that they used to worship God, okay? And dedicated for that purpose. Verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. Youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now, among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned them new names. To Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank, and he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor in the compa and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials, and the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence in the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days and at the end of 10 days their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. And as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. 
Then the end of the days which the king had specified for the presenting, presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and, one, and out of them all, not one of them was like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, or Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service, and as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Three stages. Three stages that are present for living courageously in a contrary world. And the first one is this. First of all, we need to have a realization of our alienation. A realization that we are not as, uh, you know, in Kansas anymore, uh, Toto. We're, we're in a different world now. We're in a different place. Daniel 1 uh, introduces uh, the entire book. And it sets the stage. Notice it says in verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar pillaged, plundered, and captured people in Jerusalem and deported them to Babylon. Daniel and his friends were among them. And our story picks up where 2 Kings chapter 24 uh, verses 1 and 2 left off, and you have it on the screen there. In the days of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon came up. And Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. Then he turned and revolted against him. And the Lord sent against him bands of Chaldeans, bands of Arameans, bands of Moabites, and bands of Ammonites. And he sent them against Judah to destroy it in accordance with the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through the servants, his, through his servants, the prophets. Because the children of Israel were living in rebellion against God. And God told them, you keep living in rebellion against me, I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to take you and put you in the hands of other people who you'll experience the punishment. And this was fulfillment of that. When Daniel and his friends were taken captive into Babylon. Okay? The book spans an entire 70 year period which was promised in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 10, and 29, verse 12. We see that he, they were told this is going to last for 70 years. And so, I think I got those verses right. You can check me out, but I know it's in Jeremiah 29, 25 and 29, and maybe 25, 12, and 29, 10, or 25, I don't know, but I, I, I'm pretty close, so it's my memory. It's 29, I think. So anyhow, so here we have uh, this, this thing, and then it says in verse 2, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of... The Lord gave. Three times in this text, we're going to see that the Lord gave. The Lord gave, the Lord gave. Verse 2, verse 9, and verse 17. As a testimony of God's sovereign control, regardless of what may appear to us. So take heart, people. God's not sleeping. He knows where we're at. He knew where Daniel and his friends were at. He knows where we're at. He's not asleep. He's in control, uh, despite the appearances. And the theme of God's sovereign control, which enables and empowers His people to live faithfully in the face of a contrary world, is throughout the entire book of Daniel, which makes all that he says applicable to our contemporary situation, I think. All right? In chapter 1, believers, God-fearing people, living in a hostile world, are invited to rest in, in God's control. God's in it. God's got it. They're inspired to live courageously 
in the face of a world that's contrary to us. And finally, they're introduced to this concept. Exile is an opportunity for ministry. Exile is an opportunity for ministry. We want to escape, but God has placed us there to engage and to do stuff for His sake. You can write this down if you want. Jeremiah chapter 29, the first six, seven verses there, the prophet tells the people who are in captivity, live in the land, build houses, have children, cultivate gardens, do ministry. So there's a call to ministry, and there's a focus on eternity because he says, because it's only temporary. So do work for the prosperity of where you're at. Hear it, believers. It's not just for Daniel living in Babylon. It's for believers today. Live where you're at for ministry in light of eternity. It's a call for us. Notice five tactics. So Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he, he reflects the anti-God influence, okay? Attempting to strip these young people of their allegiance to God and their identity as God's people. And so I see in the text five tactics that a hostile culture employs to, to push God's people into conformity to the world and away from allegiance to Christ. First of all, there's marginalization of their faith. Verse 2, it says, The king of Judah, uh, God gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into their hands, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them into the land of Shinar, that's Babylon, into the house of his gods, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Why would he do that? To show the superiority of his God over the God of Israel. Because these people had their regional gods and multiple gods. He'd always say, well, my God is superior because we're bringing your stuff into my God's house to worship him. Somehow demean, somehow minimize, somehow put down the, the God of Israel to symbolize his superiority. And I would suggest to you that this is happening in our day. That the forces arrayed against us are seeking to, to minimize Christianity, marginalize Christianity, <clears throat> cultural Marxism is the God of our age. And it, it teaches that the state is supreme. And in order for the state to be supreme, guess what must happen? Your religion must be suppressed. And your individual rights must be restrained because you must follow almighty government, almighty state. And it's the exclusive means that the state is for this income Equality and liberation from oppression and racial harmony that I mentioned before and justice. And all these things are defined, they're defined and pursued inconsistent with, I'm, I'm using my words intentionally, inconsistent with and in contradiction to God's word. So all of their goals that they have are either against the scripture or they're pursued in ways that are contrary to scripture. No, what's, what's one of the main criticisms of Christianity in our age, the spiritual, spiritual age? Well, you, Christianity is just exclusive, you know? I mean, how can you say that Jesus is the only way? I mean, that's pretty narrow, right? I'd say, 
Yeah, it's just as narrow as Jesus defined it. Uh, because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. But that's the criticism that is given to Christianity. But the interesting thing is the adherence to the cultural religion are equally as exclusive. They're hypocritically intolerant of believers. I was really, really saddened to read that uh, there's a six-month-old in a hospital in Nashville, Tennessee, that's being denied a heart surgery because the parents are refusing to get the child vaccinated for COVID and they're refusing continually because they previously resisted getting vaccinated for religious and for medical reasons. So they have a religious conviction against getting the child vaccinated so the kid's going to die because they can't get that surgery in the hospital because he won't get vaccinated. Seems a little skewed to me. Okay, so um, now is Christianity exclusive? Yes, and I'll be the first one to stay here that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Unless we accept that Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the payment that we deserve for our sins and put our faith or our trust in him and his death and his resurrection as the only hope for our forgiveness and salvation. The Bible says we're destitute for an eternity apart from him. And I don't say that with delight. Well, I say it with delight for those who know Jesus. I don't say it with delight for those who don't know Jesus. I say it with an invitation. You see, Christianity is exclusive, but it's not, in, it's not like violently seeking to confirm, conform you to its, its belief. It's saying it's an invitation. Do you accept the gift of salvation that is offered through Jesus Christ? Then isolation is the second tactic. These young people were taken away from their homes, away from their families, away from their faith, away from their religion, and they were uh, intended to be conformed to the ways of Babylon, right? You take them away and you strip it away from them and you make it happen. In verses 3 and 4 it says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the officials, to bring... um, in some of the sons of Israel, including the sons of some of the royal family and the nobles and the youths in whom there is no defect and so on and so forth. And they were supposed to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Isolation. Parents, at least in America, are learning how isolation can be detrimental uh, to their kids and how influential isolation can be. Because they're waking up to uh, the historically inaccurate, um, think, 1619 project. The philosophically errant, think, critical race theory. And the sexually deviant methodologies that are being foisted upon their children, unbeknownst to them, in school. Now... It's not just grade school, it's not just elementary school, it's not just middle school, it's not just high school, but it's college. And it's happening. And see, isolation is a key to indoctrination, to acculturation. See, indoctrination. You're supposed to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Chaldean, that's a code word uh, for divination. Okay? Which is magic arts. Uh, 
mystery stuff. And so Daniel and his friends, this was dominant in the culture, they learned the pagan ways to discern the signs and how to interpret dreams and all this kind of stuff. But notice what Daniel did. He learned all that stuff, but he leaned on God. So you can't eliminate all that stuff, but we can lean on God and we can learn from God and we can grow in what he has to say. Education is central to acculturation. Barna Group and USA Today found a very disturbing statistic to me that nearly 75% of Christian young people fall away from their faith and leave the church after high school. 75%. And one of the key reasons they do is intellectual skepticism. Statistics show that children today spend an average of 30 hours a week in school where they are often taught ideas that are diametrically opposed to biblical truth. Aforementioned ideas like historical revision, 1619 project, philosophical uh, errant stuff like CRT, sexual deviant stuff uh, that we're supposed to be celebrating. All that stuff and, and happens. And, and now, and that's not to say, you see, Daniel, he and his friends, they were enculturated in this educational system, but they still remain true. It's not impossible to do, but it's very much swimming upstream. And so we need to have other inputs. Remember, uh, you guys are too young. Uh, when I was taking uh, computer languages in, in college, uh, I took one, okay, uh, computer course in college extent of my technical savvy. Uh, we learned garbage in, garbage out. Right? So when you go to school, when you listen to the news, when you're on TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, and whatever chat, and you get garbage in, guess what's coming out? Garbage. So you're going to be in front of a screen, and I'm saying this to myself, too, you know, because I like to check out what's going on. And I find myself being garbage out. You know, I read this stuff, and people are all amped up about something. Or they, they post something, and you just assume that it's true, and you have no idea if it's true or whether it's been fabricated or, or photoshopped or whatever. And then you get all amped up, and you get all ticked off, and you're ready to go. And you say, wait a second. We need to realize that indoctrination is a key but Daniel, I love Daniel, because he's a nonconformist valedictorian. He was head of the class, even though he had all this garbage taught to him. And he stayed true to God. Then there's temptation. Notice the daily rations. In verse 5, they were supposed to the daily rations from the king's choice food and wine. They tempted them to indulgence and disobedience. They would have to compromise their convictions. They didn't know where this, this, this food and wine oftentimes offered up to idols, and they didn't want to participate in that. And so Daniel said no. The pressure to indulge the king's excessive and succulent food would have been tremendous. Like, hey, nobody's looking. Dad and mom aren't around. Guess what? I can just have at it. You know, this is good stuff, right? Woo! The same thing happens today, people. We're tempted. We're tempted by pleasure. Nobody's looking. You know, it's just a couple clicks on the computer. Who cares? You know, nobody's going to know. 
right? Oh, yeah, there's this thing called cookies, but I can eliminate them. I can get out around that. Uh, maybe, oh, hey, yeah, and I can, I can make a little bit of money. I, it may not be really legal or, or proper or ethical, but I can do that, you know, some way. So pleasure and possessions, popularity, they tempt us to compromise our convictions to indulgence and disobedience. Then there's identification. Verse 6, interestingly enough that uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, all of their Hebrew names in some way, shape, or form are connected to God. Daniel, God is judge. You know, they have a connection. But now, notice what happens when they go to Babylon. Their names get changed. And guess what? Their names now have an association with one of the God, the God of Babylon. They want to change their identity. They want to change who they are, their, their person, to realign their allegiance and their identity by giving them new names. We don't, we're not asked today to change our names, but we're certainly asked to reaffirm other people who do and to use their pronouns, and to buy into the acculturation of our culture. We've got to wake up and see that we are alien from the culture, from the world. The city of God and the city of the world are different. Secondly, our, our refusal to compromise is the second stage. Surprisingly, the, the first resistance to acculturation that we see in the text is Daniel saying, uh, eh, I'm not going to eat and eat the king's food and I'm not going to drink the king's drink. But notice what he says. It says in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. It's a conscious choice to resist the pressure. And I'm saying that unless we make up our mind ahead of time. You know, I taught my kids this when they're growing up. You know, uh, we had two girls and one guy. And uh, they grow up, they get older, they have hormones. And uh, so uh, I told my kids, I said, you got hormones? You know, that means that pretty soon uh, the people, members of the opposite sex are going to, whoo, uh, that's going to be like uh, magnets, you know. And so we had this little talk. And we said, look, it's like you're driving up the road, uh, a mountain road. And you can drive up the mountain road and you can kind of ride out on the edge, you know, with your emotions and your, your feelings and you can kind of ride out on the edge and you're really close to the cliff of going over the edge and guess what's going to happen? It doesn't take too far for you to fall. Or you can hug the, hug the mountain. And I'm saying, choose hugging the mountain in your sexual urges. Hug the mountain of God's word because that's going to keep you safe and protect you and that's what will honor God. So here, Daniel made a choice. I'm saying we need to make a choice. Where are we going to draw the line? Rachel was a young gal that was studying um, Semitic languages at Iowa State University. And uh, needless to say, in that uh, area of study, she didn't have a lot of... Uh, Christian role models uh, at the university. And uh, so she was writing a paper, and she knew her paper was going to be antithetical, the, the content of her paper would be antithetical to the convictions of the professor. And she came to me, and she says, Pastor, she says, I'm, I'm going to submit it. She said, I'm just going to do it. She said, I know, it's, I know it's not popular, but I'm going to do it. 
And I said, well, bless you, girl. That's good. You, you know the consequence. Yep, I'm ready to go. And so she submitted. She made a choice that she wasn't going to buy into the party line. She wasn't going to just tell them what they wanted to hear. Now, I, I know some other people a little savvy. You know, they just kind of spew out what the professor wants to hear so they can get through the course. And, you know, they don't believe a bit of it, but they just spew it out and it, it works, you know, and they get through. Ah, you got to decide which hill you're going to die on. And she decided, and, and Daniel decided, he wouldn't defile himself. He wouldn't pollute himself. He wouldn't corrupt himself. His name means God is judge, and he wasn't going to let God judge him for defiling his heart. He refused to violate the ceremonial laws that he grew up with or participate in idol worship. And I don't think Daniel's resistance was arrogance. I think Daniel's resistance was courageous faithfulness. He used to wait tables. I've told you the story maybe. And uh, when you wait tables, you get tips. And the tips, I didn't accept Bitcoin. Uh, no, we, 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 uh, we had hard uh, cash, you know, and you'd get a cash. And you'd stuck it in your pocket, you know, whatever. And then at the end of the day, guess what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to declare your tips. You're supposed to empty your pockets and say, this is how much I, I got in tips. And so I would come in and I'd start emptying my pockets and the boss's wife would say, you don't have to do that. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, nobody else does. They just say, they just give me kind of a, a number. I said, no. And so I would empty my pockets and count the money and tell her what the tips were. You have to, we have to act with integrity. And Daniel decided he wasn't going to fail. You see, the scripture tells us that obedience is a demonstration of our love and allegiance. John 14, 21. I'm not just blowing smoke here. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me will love to my father and I will love him and disclose myself to him. So obedience is a, a, a manifestation of our allegiance. It's a demonstration of our, our love, our affection for God. Question. Daniel demonstrates the absolute sovereignty of God and also the courage of his faithful followers. So the question that I was going to ask you is, what forms of acculturation are you okay with? Like, like what pressures of the culture are you just going to accept. I'm not making an indictment against you. I'm just asking you to think about the question because the other question, there are some things I think you shouldn't be accepting, but, and I'm not saying you should accept these, but are, 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 you, just, are you okay still going to Disneyland? And Disney World? Uh, you know, uh, having Disney Plus? I mean, I'm not, I'm just saying that's, a, that's an acculturation decision. Um, what about the way you dress? I read, I read some guy some gal online, and she was admonishing young ladies. It's warm out, ladies, so make sure you still have enough clothes on, you know, kind of like thing. So, you know, the dress of the culture is kind of, uh, you know, stylish, and it looks good, and all that, but is it appropriate? What about um, social media obsession? Is, is there any filter on your social media intake? Any decisions about that? What about, are you okay you down with holiday concerts and winter break? You know, it used to drive me nuts, you know, when the kids were, we're having, we're having a winter concert. It's like, what? I didn't make a big deal about it. It was one of those things I just kind of, okay, live and let live. I'm not going to die on that hill, you know. But the bigger question is, 
Um, or not question, but observation. See, Daniel didn't die on every hill here, right? I mean, he didn't, you look, read through the text, he didn't die on every hill. But the one about eating food and the drink, that's one he was saying, nope, not going, I'm, not, I'm not down with that. You know? So we have to decide. We're not going to die on every hill, but we need to decide what hill we're going to die on. And there should be a hill. That's what I would say. There should be something. We can't stand against everything, but we should stand up for something. As believers. Will we refuse? This is my challenge. Will we refuse, reject, and resist whatever is, first of all, contrary to God's word? Secondly, which would corrupt my heart. And thirdly, which would harm somebody else. Those are the filters I have that I want to have, at least. I don't always, I'm not, I'm sure I'm not consistent. But if, if it's contrary to God's word, I'm against it. If it's going to corrupt my heart, I want to stand against it. If it's going to hurt someone else or endanger somebody. So money that's gained illegally or dishonestly, okay, I don't want to go there. Okay. The killing of unborn children needs to be resisted. And I see this, knowing that even in our audience, there are probably some who have had an abortion. But the marvel of Jesus is that he forgives. It's nothing. I mean, some of us have gluttony problems, and Jesus forgives us. Some of us have anger problems. Jesus forgives us. Some of us have compulsions, and Jesus forgives us. But the life of the unborn must be protected. Are we down with the normalization and the celebration of gender dysphoria? Do we care about the sexualization of young children? Drag queen story hours? You okay? I mean, is that just something we're going to go along with? Are we okay with teaching that says that you're racist simply because of the color of your skin? Are we okay with human trafficking? These are the things I think we need to stop and think about. And so here's some principles for resistance that I see in Daniel. First of all, a readiness to endure a lot. You think about Daniel? I mean, he's a young kid, and he's captive by the king of Babylon, and he wants to resist what the king wants. And what could happen to Daniel if he isn't seen with favor in the eyes of the king? We might lose his job. What? He might lose his life. Well, you know, his friends might disown him. That's the least of his worries. The dude's neck is on the chopping block. But he's willing to pay the price. I love John in in Matthew chapter 14. The dude walked right into Herod's house and says, you're sinning. You're not supposed to have your brother's wife. Let's talk about truth speaking to power. And we know what happened there. Are we willing with readiness? I thought about, and I've mentioned before, uh, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ at Grace Community Church in uh, Orange County, California, 
where uh, I think it's Orange County, they, they were uh, still having services during COVID. $20,000 in fines they incurred. $20,000 in fines. Okay, we're doing it anyway. Then there's a resolve, the resolve to do the right thing. In spite of the efforts to switch his allegiance and stifle his devotion, Daniel would not be intimidated into inactivity, and neither should we. See, that's the goal. Intimidate us into doing nothing. Christians, Christians, Christians who are working. You know, we're against ethnic partiality because the Bible teaches there's one race, the human race. But in our, our efforts to, to eliminate ethnic partiality, we should be the first to condemn the anti-Christian tenets of BLM and of CRT. Because we cannot fight something that's ungodly in an ungodly way. We use the word. We use instructions of scripture and, and follow the truth. Respect. What did Daniel do? He said he's going to, he made up his mind he was going to resist. And then what's the next thing that he does in the text? He asked for permission. He didn't post it on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Snapchat. You know, he didn't express his outrage. No, he, he asked, he, he sought permission so as not to defile himself. On this matter, he would defy the king rather than defile himself. So I had to ask myself, do I resist with grace? Well, I'm good at resisting. I mean, most of us are, right? You know, that just comes in our nature. You tell me I got to do this? No, no, it's not happening. I mean, that's just us, right? You don't think that's true? You have a child. You tell that child no, and they'll look at you and smile and do it anyway. That's in the, in the, it's in the DNA to be rebellious. But do we resist with grace? Let's, let's, let's resist with grace. And then uh, reliance on God. In verses 9 through 13, um, we see that the, the second reminder in verse 9. Now God granted, or his sovereignty, God's sovereignty. God granted him favor in the eyes of, of this official. His sovereign control over his life. God may not grant us favor in the eyes of our enemies. I'm not saying that he will. But I'll tell you what, he's still there. He's still with us. He's still fighting for us. Then Daniel wisely set out to test. And he says, you just test us. See if God won't do this. That you feed us the veggies and the water and see if we're not better off than the other guys. And they were. God, Daniel's resistance was coupled with his dependence. He was willing to trust God with it, right? And say, okay, that's what causes us. We have to trust God with it. You say, well, I don't know. <laughs> if I reject or resist, my friends might think bad of me my employer might actually terminate me my family might disown me I remember receiving an email several years ago I wasn't here uh, somebody had emailed the church that I was serving and they they said would you just please articulate uh, the church's perspectives on a couple of issues uh, abortion and homosexuality so I responded you know tried to explain with grace and love uh, our, our, the perspective that the church that I served and myself personally had at the time 
And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know who these people were. I didn't know what was going to happen. But I just did it. And I said, okay, God, you know, this is where we're at. I mean, this is what the scripture says, as I understand it. So we went with it. So this is the question. Will we act in faith? We have to resist. We have, we have to realize we're alienated. Then we are supposed to resist with grace. And finally, we're to receive God's gracious actions. There are four unique ways that God graciously blessed Daniel and his friends in light of their faithfulness. And I think the examples illustrate God's sovereign control and how he works in and through faithfulness to accomplish his purposes. This is kind of the, the big idea here, is that, or one of the big ideas is that God works through our faithfulness in the midst of the hostile situation we're in in order to accomplish his purposes. It's all about the kingdom. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about what God wants to do in and through us. And so first of all, there's physical health. I don't know if you would like this said about you. Uh, we're going to put you on a diet, and you're going to be fatter when you get done. It's like, that's not why most of us go on a diet. At least fatter than the other people that are on, this, on a different diet. So they're eating the junk food, and you're eating the good food, and you're fat. I think I'm more for junk food. I mean, I might as well enjoy it, right? No. Daniel and, the, and his friends. Now, the, the thing of it is, and, and seriously, God blessed their career, the courage of their convictions, Okay. He blessed the courage of their convictions so that they got favor. Second, intellectual ability. Verses 17 and 18. Notice the words, and as for these four youths, what happened? What does it say? God gave them. Third time. God gave them. You smarter than me? Yeah. God gave you those brains. Whatever we have, um, is it uh, 2 Corinthians 4? Why do you boast in what you have, not rec- you have received as if you have not received it? If you received it, it's a gift from God. Why do you boast in what you have received? We have received it, and Daniel said, God says, he gave them this intellectual ability. In Job chapter 38, verse 36, Uh, we're reminded, who has put wisdom in the innermost being or given understanding to the mind? God has. It's a third reminder of God's sovereign control over the lives of his people. They were given extensive insight, wisdom, knowledge, and and all this stuff, intelligence, and the text says, in every branch of wisdom, uh, in every branch of literature and wisdom. And uh, Daniel, he got a little bit more. Because he could interpret dreams. He can interpret dreams, all understanding all kinds of visions and dreams. And what we, we're not going to look there, but we're going to see, well, we're going to look at chapter 6 next week. But what we see in chapters 2 through 6 is the wisdom of God trumping the wisdom of men as Daniel and his friends have direct access to the king. It's like every time God's wisdom trumps man's wisdom. Every time trumps man's wisdom. And so what's amazing is that God uniquely gifted them for the ministry to which he had called them in the hostile environment into which he brought them. Now don't miss that. God uniquely gifts us with the wisdom and the ability and the knowledge and the training to minister into the environment in which he brings us. You're not here by accident. 
You're not in wherever you work by accident. You're not in your family by accident. You're not in your neighborhood by accident. God is sovereignly working in and through each of us and gifting us in abilities that he wants to use for his glory. Daniel's resistance was coupled with his dependence and we see that they were intellectually enabled by what God had done and he does the same thing for us. Then there's popularity. Whoa, Daniel and his friends, they were the popular kids in the class. At least they were to Nebuchadnezzar after they had their little uh, uh, oral test. They had like an oral exam and the the boys showed up uh, shining bright with their oral exam, okay? The challenge for us Christians is uh, to deliberately view our giftedness and our position of influence as gifts to serve God for his purpose. Then there was longevity. That's the end of the uh, verse, verse 21, last verse 21. Daniel continued, you know, the first year of Cyrus the king. So in verse 1, we see when he started this ministry. And verse 21, we see when he ended his ministry, 70, 70 years later, uh, he, he's, he's, he's in done, uh, seven years of captivity. He was God's man by God's grace for God's purpose, for God's glory at that time. And he stayed faithful. And that's all God asks us to do. That's all we can do. God is in control. So I ask you this morning, you're like Daniel and his friends? Are you one of God's people? Or are you not one of God's people? Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not in the, the city of God. Maybe you're a, a, a alienated from God. And God, that's where we all start. Men of darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil. We're sinful, fallen people, and we are headed for an eternity apart from God. But God, by His grace, sent His Son, Jesus. He died on the cross so that when we put our trust or our faith in Christ, we can be forgiven and have the promise of eternal life and go from the world to God's world, to God's city. And if you've never made that decision, my challenge for you this morning is that you would surrender your heart and soul to the God of the universe because he wants you to be in his kingdom he's not going to beat you into it he's not going to force you into it but he's inviting you to accept it and come in and to be one of his children and if we are children of God are we resting in God's control I don't know about you but sometimes the events of the last few years have just been like I can't rest I'm struggling God wants us to rest in his control are we realizing that exile is an opportunity for ministry? Right now is an opportunity for ministry, not just for rebellion, <laughs> not just for fighting. Are we resisting evil? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Isaiah 5.20 Abhor that which is evil and cling to that which is good. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. A couple of other verses you might want to consider. Uh, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 15. I think it's Proverbs 27, 15. Oh, you can look it up and tell me later. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah. So, are we resisting? And then are we receiving the grace? There's a book that I would encourage you all to read. Erwin uh, Lutzer wrote a book, We Will Not Be Silenced. I, I would just recommend it as a, as a book that you might want to consider. Erwin Lutzer's We Will Not Be Silenced. And so this morning, as we close the service, we take bread and we take juice. These are symbols of what Christ has done for us on the cross so that we can be empowered, those of us who are trusting Christ, to live courageously in the midst of a contrary world. If you're the, a believer here this morning, my encouragement would be that you would search your heart and confess your sin, and then as the Lord leads, you'd come go to the back or to the front. There's a gluten-free option at the front, and that you would take the bread and the cup as a celebration of what Christ has done, and, and, and with a 
prayer that God would give you and I the courage to live faithfully in light of, of the cross with courage. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. I thank you for the example of Daniel. I thank you that uh, you alone can empower us to live by your grace and for your glory. And Lord, it's easy to talk tough, but help us to talk tender too. I pray for those who are, um, who are so adamant and so belligerent in their opposition to your truth and your word. And I pray that you would open their eyes that they might see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Give me a heart of compassion for those who I would see uh, most often as enemies. Give us grace and strength to serve you with, with, with joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.